Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another episode of Rebels Talk. This is Rebels Talk Part 17, and we're going to dive right into Season 4 of Star Wars Rebels. Now, if you haven't joined us so far in Rebels Talk, we've gone all the way from the beginning. We've taken you way back to Season 1, starting from the very beginning, and we've taken you all the way through to Season 4 now at this point, starting off with the first four episodes of Season 4. We're going over... Season 4, episode 1, 2, 3, and 4. The Heroes of Mandalore, part 1 and 2, and In the Name of the Rebellion, part 1 and 2. And this is all in favor of our journey to Ahsoka. So, our esteemed co-host Blake is joining us today. Let's get into it. Anakin Skywalker. Few would live to see what he became. Before the end of the Clone Wars, I walked away from him and the Jedi. In this war, you will face more than just droids. As your master, it's my responsibility to prepare you. I won't always be there to look out for you. I could use the help. Once a rebel, always a rebel. Don't be afraid. Trust your instincts. I know you can do this, Ahsoka. Chud, chud, Blake. Chud, chud. <laughs> chud, chud. <laughs> chud, chud. Chud, chud. Oh, yeah. You know, isn't it disappointing that they've never used the term chud, chud since Phantom Menace? Or, I guess, <laughs> clon- or, uh, Attack of the Clones, I guess. Maybe they've got a good reason for it, but I don't know. <laughs> what would that be, Josh? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just local Tatooine slain? Slain? Yeah. Yeah, maybe they uh, maybe they figured it sounded really stupid, and they're just like, oh, <laughs> can't use that again. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, here we are. I mean, season four, episode one, two, three, and four. We're kicking things off with uh, the the final countdown. We're in the final countdown. Four more Rebels Talk episodes to go, including this one. So after this one's over, we got three left, and then we and we got Ahsoka. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, uh, that's very crazy. I can't believe it's so close. I'm getting really apt for this. Like, I'm genuinely just like, you know, because I think we're, we're all excited for this show. But like every more every Rebels Talk episode that we do, it's like 
it's like that much closer, you know? <laughs> That's true. Like, Though something tells me even if we weren't doing the episodes, it'd be getting that much closer anyway. <laughs> That's a good point. Time doesn't stop for anybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, what, we got seven days, something like that? Not even. Oh, yeah. Five so days? I think next, it's five. Next Wednesday on the 23rd. But, of course, we're doing the midnight premiere on uh, the 22nd of, of Tuesday. We're, we're getting together. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be there for the very first second. It's a double header, you said, right? There's two? Yeah, there's two. Uh, episode one and two coming out on the same day. So it's going to be an hour and a half of uh, Star Wars goodness. Oh, man. I'm going to be getting home and going to bed like three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prepare yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Should have had you guys come to my place. I wouldn't have to drive home after. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, so here we are. I mean, uh, it's the first time ever that, that a season's kind of kicked off with... Uh, a two-parter, uh, well, two two-parters. Sorry, so uh, we double got, parter. Yeah, a double a double parter. <laughs> so we got <laughs> our uh, four episodes on the horizon to talk about today, and we don't do this very often, only because I just assume that people are familiar with what we're doing with Rebels Talk here. But you know, I'll ring the spoiler bell. So, for those of you who have not tuned in to those episodes, please check the description of the podcast episode, and you can see all of the episodes that we're talking about today, uh, which happened to be season four of Star Wars Rebels episodes one and two and three and four, uh, which are the heroes of Mandalore part one and two and in the name of the rebellion part one and two. So uh, for those of you who have also hung out with us this far into the series, I mean, uh, I mean, thank you. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, this is, this is a lot of, a lot of podcasts. So, oh my goodness, I was actually just trying to kind of do the math uh, recently. I'm like, this is actually, the, it was a huge undertaking to think how many hours of both the show to watch and then uh, podcasting. Because it's almost minute for minute is kind of how it works out, seems like roughly, which is funny. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, right? Uh, the only other largest undertaking that this podcast has ever done was Clone Wars Talk, and that was 40 episodes. And that was, mm-hmm. that was yeah. over the course of like a, a year or something like that. And that was most of the podcast for a good long while. And uh, that was with, uh, with our old co-host Diego, who, uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, he's, he's still alive <laughs> and well. He's dead? No, he, he's alive and well. He's, uh, I, I feel like he's dead to our listeners, though. He hasn't been on for quite some time, but I, I joke around. No, he's doing fine. He's, he's extremely busy. He, he has a job that sends him away for two weeks at a time, and, you know, he's got shoddy internet connection up where he's at and, you know, so on and so no, forth. No, shoot. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's one of the, uh, the brave, uh, laborious engineers in, in a big cargo hangar fixing up all the shuttles and ships. And, uh, well, hopefully his internet is at least good enough that he can be listening to Star Wars K-Pod while he's working. I hope so. Yeah. Every now and again, he sends in a transmission and, uh, you know, hear the latest and get the latest Darth Vader meme or gif or whatever he's sending me. And, uh, every now and again, we'll, we'll catch up every three weeks. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'll see him soon, but you know, yeah. Question being, uh, when he when he comes on to the podcast again, that's for sure. But as far as Rebel Stock goes, I mean, uh, I did. I feel it. like I it's gonna be. That. I think last time we'll see him will be like Revenge of the Sith, uh, Obi Wan, and then next time he comes on, he's gonna be Alec Guinness, A New Hope, Obi Wan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. I mean, uh, he is rocking an orbit key though. Um, he's uh, oh nice. Yeah, he is. He's he's got the um, one of the retro series. I think it's the. Oh, what is it again? I think it's the. Death Star. No, no next wing can't be the Death Star. Tie Fighter. Uh, you know what? Falcon. I think it's. I think it's the Falcon. I think. Ooh, I think Falcon. it's. I think it's the Falcon. It's either the Falcon or the X Wing. It's one of the two. I think it's the Falcon. They're both excellent choices. I think it's the Millennium Falcon. But yeah, yeah. So, and he has so many keys. He's just using both. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. Uh, yeah, he's got them tied together like nunchucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, cool. Well, um, here we go. For those of you who uh, who are new, um, you know, welcome aboard, and let's dive right in. Season four, episode one and two. We're tying these together in one conversation here. The Heroes of Mandalore, part one and two. These were directed by. Stuart Lee for part one and Saul Ruiz for part two. It was written by Henry Gilroy for part one and Stephen Melching for part one and Christopher Yost for part two. Part one uh, uh, premiered at Celebration Orlando, April 15th, 2017. And we were there for that. We didn't actually Oh, watch. yeah, that's right. We didn't get into the panel. So we, you know. <laughs> we didn't get into any panels. <laughs> we hardly got into anything. So. Uh, yeah. The only one we got into closing ceremonies, Bryce and I, but like we got into so few panels that you and Ben just didn't even bother showing up the last day. Yeah, we we'd had <laughs> our fill. Disney World instead. We, we 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 had our fill. We just bailed over to Disneyland and you know getting rode. up at four in the morning trying to get bracelets. Wouldn't have been <laughs> earlier than that. It was that was brutal. Yeah, no, I think we had a we had a pretty good day at Disney though. I, I no regrets, no regrets. There was like no lines for any of the coasters. We we managed to do like the yeti like eight times over it was amazing <laughs> so it was it was awesome but yeah <laughs> it was a full double special episode uh with the second uh or f- full double sp- full double episode sorry S- september 2nd 2017 at the fan expo canada screening and uh october 16th 2017 was the television premiere on disney xd so uh this set of episodes saw quite the uh the PR campaign, shall we say, at two different conventions. And it's the first that I've heard that they've screened anything like that in its exclusivity to a Canadian fan expo. That's kind of cool. So there we have it. Uh, guest stars Katie Sackoff and Tobias Menzies. And the summary reads, Sabine, Cannon, and Ezra lead Clan Wren in a raid on the Clan Saxon outpost to, to rescue Sabine's father, who is being held captive by Clan Saxon on behalf of the Empire. The outpost turns to, out to be a trap to capture Sabine, but they are rescued by Lady Bo-Katan of Clan Krees. As Bo-Katan should have become the ruler of Mandalore after her sister, Duchess Satine, was murdered, Sabine attempts to give her the Darksaber, but Bo-Katan refuses to accept it. Sabine's father is to be moved to the capital city for a public execution to Sabine, so Sabine plans to rescue him as he is being transported there. They attack the convoy and succeed in rescuing Sabine's father, Alrich Wren, who turns out to be as much of an artist as Sabine. Sabine is contacted by her mother just as the Empire reveals the new weapon, at the sound of which Sabine recognizes. They rush to the site of the attack and find every Mandalorian warrior vaporized. 
Sabine is devastated as she realizes they were killed by a weapon that she personally designed for the Empire, but is relieved to find out her mother and brother have survived the attack. As more Imperials arrive, Sabine and her allies are rescued by Clan Kreese, and while Bo-Katan and Ezra destroy the pursuing TIE fighters, Saxon shows a recording of the weapon's field test to Thrawn. The weapon superheats an alloy in Mandalorian armor, killing the occupant, but leaving stormtroopers unharmed. At Bo-Katan's camp, her men confront Sabine for her role in the creation of the weapon, which she named the Duchess after Bo-Katan's sister Satine. Sabine convinces Clan Kreese to join her in a raid on Saxon Star Destroyer to destroy the weapon. During the assault, Sabine is incapacitated by Saxon, who orders her to adjust the weapon to its full power. She does so, but she instead recalibrates the weapon to target Imperial armor, which stuns the Imperial troops. Sabine slashes the weapon with the Dark Saber, breaching its power core and destroying the Dark the Star Destroyer. At the Kreese camp, Sabine gives Bo-Katan the Dark Saber, making her the true leader of Mandalore. And to note, this is the first episode to take place in one BBY. We're one year away from the Battle of Yavin. So that being said, this is Rebels Recon. In this week's episode, the Rebels returned to Mandalore and found out that you can't always go home again. I sat down with the cast and crew to talk about the return to Mandalore, Sabine's role in creating the Duchess, the return of Bo-Katan, and more. Check it out. Sabine finally accepts her legacy in Heroes of Mandalore. How has her time reunited with her family helped her grow into this role? I think it's been a long, long time since she's been sort of immersed in her own Mandalorian culture. I think maybe it sort of reignites that sort of fire, that Mandalorian like warrior fire in her. And she's this young woman. I think I certainly forget how young she is right. because she's so wise beyond her years and so capable and so strong. And here's when it's like really a test for her. We meet Sabine's dad in this episode. How does Ulrich differ from the other Mandos that we've seen in this series? We really see that Sabine gets her love of art from Ulrich, that it's really his influence on her. That is definitely his side that comes out through Sabine. Dave and the story team came up with really a cool kind of idea to see the mother who's kind of hard on her and the father who's the one that's a little more of the nurturing kind of aspect of it. So the Duchess is a type of a super weapon unlike anything we've ever seen in Star Wars. Can you give us a little more detail on how it works. The Duchess really is an energy weapon that hones in on the Beskar alloy and then superheats it and literally incinerates whoever's wearing the armor. It's one of these things that has to be presented visually enough that it looks painful. Here what we did is we had a glow come from within. We did that old trick of just putting a light on the inside of the armor or just making the armor look like it's glowing and then it just kind of comes out and then you cut to the next shot where the armor falls and there's just ash floating around. You can kind of fill in the rest. We learn here that Sabine actually created the Duchess. Are there any other details about her time at the Empire that you could give us? I think that she's a very competitive person. So she probably wasn't really thinking, as she says, that she made some bad decisions, but she's probably at the top of her class. So she's willing to take on a challenge that no one else would and then succeed at it. She's a munitions expert. And at the time, she did as she was told. You know, she was a soldier in that regard and having no idea the scope of the weapon she was developing and, of course, who it would be used on. So for her to then see it actually be utilized against her own people is, I think it's just beyond devastating. We're learning more and more about Sabine and sort of the things that she had to do. And I think it really enriches her story a bit because you really see how she's struggling against trying to basically 
right her wrongs in a way. We see more armored Mandalorians in the final scenes of this episode than we've ever seen before. How did you go about creating the look of the armor for each of the clans? Every single designer had to design quite a few armor variations for that episode, which is really fun because mm -hmm. it's Mandalorians. But we all kind of worked together because we wanted all the clans to be similar, right, to each other. It's a lot of how quickly can you turn around things that look varied without having to rebuild everything from scratch, which sort of ties in with George's vision of what Mandalore was, which is less of a sort of tribal thing and more of a very highly sophisticated, very technological society. So the fact that a lot of their armor is quite similar doesn't sort of contradict what we've been doing in the Clone Wars. Bo-Katan was a fan favorite character in the Clone Wars. What was the process and why did you decide to bring her back into the show? We always planned to bring Bo-Katan back. She's such a beloved character and it just made sense in these episodes. We worked really hard on her model and design to get her to look in our rebel style but still hold on to the integrity of who Bogotan is. We do have to question ourselves is are we doing it just because we want it or does it actually fit the story needs? With Bogotan, it actually really did fit because a lot of where Clone Wars was heading towards the end of the series, we were extrapolating what Maul's takeover of Mandalore meant. So we had sketched out a history in terms of who rose through the ranks to a leadership position during that time of crisis, and Bo-Katan was that character. And also, it just felt like a worthy character to pick up the Darksaber, because we made such a big deal out of it, it would be a harder sell to give that saber to someone we've never known before. All right, well, there you go. That's a Rebels Recon. George thought Mandalore would be a high-tech society? I think by that, what they were talking about there is that uh, they don't necessarily, like, uh, when they say tribal, I think what they uh, intend is the word primitive. And by high tech, I think it's the forging of an armor that no one else in the galaxy can do. Like, it's, it's mm, they're, okay. they're, they're high tech in the sense that only a Mandalorian knows how to forge Beskar armor, right? Okay, so it's not... Um, tribal as in like the clans are very like viking-esque which uh, is kind of what right we have. right right it's not tribal as in culture because we know that you know it is very tribally sort of clan-ish mm -hmm. right i think mm -hmm. by by tribal i think what they were what they intended to say was you know primitive uh primitive tribal so gotcha so sticks and stones and clubs right like, <laughs> so he doesn't think Mandalore is basically like the Blade Runner universe? No, I mean, like, if you think about it, like, these are people with jetpacks and, like, gadgets, mm -hmm. and, you know, they live in a big dome and, you know, underground, and, you know, like, it's, yeah, like, the, it's, it's, it's kind of playing off of the whole how war has always been good for technology improvement, and they're a warring culture, right? So, like, they're, they're, legions ahead of other planets people you know as far as you know how to defend themselves and like what kind of technology they have and so on that so is forth. one thing though that you kind of touched on is mandalore is really the only place where people use jetpacks to get around yeah yeah i mean well and and um from what we saw in the early clone wars days of civilians kind of walking around parks and stuff like that like this is Satine's vision of Mandalore and how that should have been, right? So, like, who knows how different it was maybe 30 years prior, but 
during her reign during the Clone Wars, we know that it's a very peaceful kind of world, uh, very neutral, you know, not part Which of the world. Which is hilarious. Yeah. Because it just makes it even more based on Norway because they were all Viking warrior clans and then became socialists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, um, maybe there was a grain of truth in, in, in how that culture might be based on Norway, you know? Sure. Seems like it. It seems like that's kind of what George and Dave were kind of emulating. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I love how this episode starts off. Um, although, you know, having Ezra amongst the, the group of the Mandalorians with his like scout trooper helmet, not dissing the scout trooper helmet or anything, but uh, it's like, why? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Would you pick a different helmet if you were him? Oh, man, I wouldn't have any helmet. I'd be coasting without it. Can't see a thing in those things. Like, how? Do, why does he choose to wear it? It's <laughs> a good question. Well, I think the scout trooper has a built-in binoculars or whatever right maybe i guess i'm pretty sure that's what it, that that's why the lens is like that that maybe that's eu but they it was supposed to have like built-in like uh magnification it sounds like that wouldn't be too far-fetched to say but at the same time that's why they're all just, like snipers and stuff right at the same time it's just like man and like this, this guy's a jedi but now like why is he why is he still doing the helmet thing? Like, I don't know. He um, just thinks armor's cool. Yeah. Honestly, I, I at the end of the so. day. Yeah. He's like, he's like all of us collecting the, the black series. That's right. <laughs> yeah. They've never released a special painted uh, version of any of them that match what Ezra has. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm still waiting for those. <laughs> we should definitely get the Lothcat mask uh, and raffle that off on the podcast oh yeah when, when it ever comes out <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick one ourselves yeah is, is that the which helmet is it uh oh it's that weird one with the big head i think like yeah. a, almost like a you're talking about the, it's the like a big dome head thing. yeah you, you're talking about the one that thrawn picked out yeah that's right yeah that was his bounty hunter disguise Gotcha. So it wasn't yeah, they'll, they'll never make that then. We'll have to do a different one. Maybe we'll paint a loth can on something else. <laughs> loth can on anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ezra Ezra complains that he wants a jetpack through like the entire series. And then when mm-hmm. he finally gets one, he like he's he like complaining. Sucks at it. Yeah, and he's complaining. <laughs> he's just like, damn, I wish I had more practice. Like I was like, oh Dude, man. Like what this deal is getting worse all the time. <laughs> Uh, Lord Tiber Saxon is Gar Saxon's brother. If anyone didn't know who that other Saxon was, it's not, it's not Gar. It's uh, his brother. So, you know, I didn't the, know uh, Gar Saxon had a brother. I didn't either. Yeah, but <laughs> well, I guess they killed all of Gar Saxon, so they needed somebody to take his place. I guess. Yeah, the the torch gets carried yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a twin brother that looks just like him, so we don't have to make a new model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, Clan Kreese shows up with Bo at the helm. Her and Sabine's mother fought together at the end of uh, the Battle of Mandalore in the Clone Wars. So it's very nice to see that connection continue and that relationship, uh, you know, be fruitful still as allies. And, uh, you know, she also denies the Darksaber initially when Sabine offers it to her, claiming that she's not worthy of being the leader that she seeks. That's exactly what happens when Mando offers it to her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, when Mando offers it to her, she's kind of disgruntled because she knows that she shouldn't take it without winning it in in combat, right? 
And there was a big sort of like, why did she have a problem with it then? Whereas before she kind of freely took it because at the end of this, this uh, double special here, you know, she ends up taking it in, in the name of her sister. All the other clans don't have a problem with it. Like they all pledge allegiance. Right. So but maybe it's because she fails or then she feels th- like she didn't deserve it. Yes. I think that's part of the reason, right? Cause the armorer explains to Din Djarin that after she takes the dark saber, she, she loses it to Moff Gideon. So not only does she kind of reset her confidence back to zero again, saying that, okay, well now I really don't deserve it because I lost it. So I, I do have to win it in battle to prove something to my people and to myself that I do, in fact, deserve the right to hold that sword, right? So that's why she has a problem taking it in front of uh, Axe Wolves and uh, the other Mandalorian chick that was there at mm-hmm. the very end, you know, when Luke shows up and all that. And I think that's why she had such a big problem taking it because it's like they know, they know that she's the one who, who surrendered to Moff Gideon a lost in the first place. So she should be the one to this, fight. You're talking that. about the Mandalorian woman that follows her around? Yeah. In the Mando series? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, because we Speaking know Speaking of that person... Yeah. Sorry, you're going to keep talking about the Darksaber. Oh, uh, Axe Wolves. Well, we know that Axe Wolves is very driven to um, kind of the cultural idea that, you know, one-on-one combat kind of must be... Uh, must be fought mm-hmm. for um, for this for this right, right? Because uh, yeah, that's why they they fight each other on the exactly um, in season three. That guy's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's basically all I was gonna say. On the on the Jack Jack Black planet, right? Yeah. <laughs> planet Planet <Yeah>. Black. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> planet Jack. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say. So in this episode Bo-Katan has two followers with with her are those the same two followers that we see in, Ma- in the Mando series no they're different I think they're different yeah okay because because they don't take off their helmet I don't think this whole double parter so you don't yeah. see their faces so, so I was wondering if they're the, the same two no I think wolves being one and then the the lady I'm not sure what her name is I wouldn't be super hard. Hair. Yeah. No, I wouldn't be super hard pressed to say that maybe they were there, but they just like we just didn't see them or something. <clears throat> or maybe maybe it her followers there. are um, one one man and one woman, so it, I thought it might be the same too. May, it maybe, maybe. Like it could be maybe their live action versions were kind of like loosely adapted on those background characters because at the time they were just background characters but i, I don't know right yeah it's always it's always tough when we can compare their armor and see if they're the same i'd be curious yeah yeah we could i don't know do you have the you can pull up the pictures if you want and i'll uh move on to the next note um uh so we just here's here's something else x wolves x wolves yeah x wolves and rebels versus live action or something uh, we come to realize why Sabine is hurting so much. You know, she's done for the Empire something that no one else in her culture has ever done before and uh, should never attempt. And Sabine's mother and brother are, of course, alive and well when the, <laughs> when the big weapon goes off. But, um, but, you know, she's clearly hurt that this weapon is being been used against her own people and 
successfully has made some kills and you know they prepare to use it on uh, to use it on a a mass scale and uh i think it really kind of finally in season four brings a full picture to be honest the only story that we don't have still is how she came to be part of the ghost crew and that's a story that i wouldn't mind seeing at some point you know play out in a book or a comic or whatever but um at least we know now why she hates the empire so much you know this is her rebellion for the empire's trickery to get her to betray her own people i don't really know why she went through it in the first place but um did we ever do the math to find out if or find out her age when she designed this weapon i guess she's just like a freaking genius because you know she's like 17 18 like she's older than ezra by like yeah two ish years maybe 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 four mm-hmm. no more than four right and at this point in time i think ezra's like ezra's 18 because this is one year prior to the battle of yavin so a new hope rolls around he's 19 years old just like luke and leia because he was born in the same year so uh, sabine should be about 20 but when, 22. Yeah. But when she designed the weapon though, you she know, was like she was, eight. she was, she must've been, well, <laughs> well, she, she was prior to prior to season one of rebels. So, uh, she was, um, she must've been around the 16 year old, maybe something like that. Yeah. I'm trying to think because there has to also be enough time for her to leave the empire, and become a bounty hunter. <laughs> so, oh and yeah. Join the ghost crew. Oh, right. Yeah, she was a bounty hunter over there. Yeah. This, her character makes no sense to me, and it's, it's mainly due to this timeline. Yeah. I have a hard yeah. time buying any of her story because you just have to be so incredibly young to do it. It just doesn't... I just, I, she's like girl I, genius. I have a hard time believing it. <laughs> she's like girl genius, insane combatant, you know, like bested two war veterans in single-hand combat. Like Master Hunter. She's like the Star Wars version of John Wick. E. Oh, but even more than that, John Wick's like 50. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's seen things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's like, yeah, she's still got spots. Um, yeah, it's just hmm. it's kind of funny. Anyways. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the equivalent of what she would be. Because she'd be like the Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Neutron, Sabine Neutron, <laughs> Jimmy Wren, Jimmy Wren. Uh, all right, you, you got those pictures up? Uh, pictures for oh. Axe Woes? Oh, just in, just in case. Uh, yeah, if you if you're, I don't know if you wanted to revisit that or not. But. I looked it up. He's not in Rebels, which is too bad because it should be the same too. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. That would have been that would have been the right call. So that that was a overlook in my opinion yeah unless they die in this season i just forgot (laughs) yeah that's possible that's certainly possible hold on they're dead (laughs) (laughs) oh man um a super commando asks saxon about how they know the empire will not use the weapon on them as well confirming that it is in fact white beskar armor so when in the finale, right? Like in the second well, part. There's, there's also jet troopers in this episodes, these two episodes. 
So not just the Mando, right? right. Imperial Imperial Mandos. Yes, that is also true. Um, but the Can one get extra confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one that hangs around Saxon this entire like like double spe- uh, this episode here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that dude is wearing white Beskar armor because when Sabine turns on the machine, you know, it, after she reprograms it, it only affects Saxon and not the other guy. But then when he uses it, like on the Mandalorian setting, mm-hmm. uh, it, it affects Sabine and Bo-Katan and the other guy, even though it's yeah, his, even Imperial though it's So it's, we have 100% confirmation now. Like yeah, that, it's true. That is white Beskar armor. So the, It's just really weird looking Mando armor because they've made it so sleeky to look like a stormtrooper. And it makes no sense with the chest wound on Garsax and when he gets shot. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It makes no sense. So, I mean, maybe the Imperial made stuff's just inferior quality. I guess so. But I don't see this is like, something I would it's love like Chinese to ask. Steel. I would love to get Dave's answer on this. And like maybe maybe we can tweet Pablo. Screw it. I'm going to tweet Pablo. Like after after Do this it. is over, I'm going to tweet Pablo. But yeah, like take a screenshot of of that exact moment where he gets shot and be like, "Pablo, yo, this is Beskar. Yeah. What's this? Yeah. What's, what, what is this? What is this bull? <laughs> I bet he says all Beskar isn't created equal. That's my guess. Yeah. What's the what or or what's the bet that he says? Uh, what my theory is of like, you know how the how the show is designed for younger viewers, so they couldn't do anything in the neck joint that might be a little too violent you know for the for their show standards so because that that would be the only part that makes sense to to kill them right yeah you have to go to the weak spots which is in between the plates yeah which is like that's why a big part of uh mandalorian culture is melee because they need to be able to shiv each other with vibro blades between the gaps right right yeah you know what I think the most likely answer you're going to get of all is? What's that? He's going to block you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't answer that question. Uh, all right. Uh, blocked. Blocked. Pablo, nope. wait. No. Uh, Sabine has a bit of a dark side moment here, turning the weapon on the Empire instead. But with the encouragement of Bo-Katan, she proceeds to destroy it. With the dark saber, so uh, she was about to just, you know, friggin' use it on all the Imperials, and it's like, you know, that's not such a bad idea. And then it's like, but we have honor, and they do not. Therefore, we must destroy the weapon. And then she does. Uh, did you like that? Well, my, I mean, if they used it against the Imperials. I don't know if I have an issue with that or not, to be honest, but there's a lot of plastoid armors that probably wouldn't get just Imperials. They probably get a lot of, you know, civilians in armor and bounty hunters or whatever too, but or even just their own, their own, um, rebel soldiers. Anyway, uh, I find it significantly unlikely that they don't have the plan stored anywhere else across the entire galaxy. Yeah, that is weird. Yep. Why? Why does whenever like these situations happen, do they? Do the Imperials just have such a 
just non like the, all these secret plans like have no backup. Uh, you know, I hate to say it. I think it's just an oversight on the show. But this happened as well when they removed the planet Adalon from Thrawn's personal computer. And somehow that affected the entire Imperial network. <laughs> because no matter what computer they used, they couldn't find this this planet. They like Thrawn literally had to like pull together like a trajectory of a transmission being made crossed with the the trajectory of like a a rebel, a rebel cell or whatever, you know, in high Yeah, the way they jumped. Like, what the heck? Like, I yeah, I didn't buy that either. I thought the moment they deleted the planet, Thrawn was going to know what planet it was because he would remember all the planets that were there previously. That sounds and they would more just give, likely. Give to, it away. Yeah, it sounds more likely to happen. Or, or that's just, what I uh, thought they were going to do, and they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? It's just I think it's just one of those things. It's like major oversight on behalf of like writing the episodes, and I hate to say that, but I think they it's did true. add an extra planet though, like a fake planet. So did they? Yeah, so the number didn't change. Oh yeah, right, right. So guess well, it's a little more of a gray area because they did say because I think they only did that. They had to do that because Thrawn in the previous episode said that he's narrowed it down to ninety four planets. It was like mm-hmm. a very specific number that he knew. So if all of a sudden there was ninety three, it would be like okay, It'd be really obvious. Like, yeah, be super obvious. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know. It, it just kind of makes no sense. It, it's almost like, to me, it's almost like how when Obi-Wan goes to the Jedi archives, right? And he's looking, <laughs> he's looking for Kamino, and he can't find mm-hmm. it. You know, and it's just like, yeah, there should be a planet right here. And somehow, like, no one freaking knows that there's, like, there was a planet there. And I get, the, I ga- mean, the galaxy's huge. I get it, right? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, there's, like, trillions of planets. But it so. just, to me, it's just, like, does, does some schmuck around the street not have, a like, you know, phone or computer, like, smart enough to, like, have that in that d- database? You know what I mean? It's just, like, it's like, what? <laughs> well, the other thing is Obi-Wan talks about how all the gravity in that part of the solar system is pulling towards this point. So they still have all that information. They just don't have the image of the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's like if I was trying to find my way on Google Maps somewhere, right? But like somewhere really obscure and weird. <laughs> And then yeah. I lost my phone. The entire city block is just missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or so, or like maybe maybe I like went <laughs> like through a like a went through a dead zone. It couldn't load like a certain section of the map. And then I was like, oh no! So I pulled over, right? Put my phone away. And yeah, just like trying to think about it. Trying to think about it here. Just be like, okay, all right. Let me think. If we're traveling down this road, there must be there must be something there. There's, there's people going in this direction. That means that. All the population is being sucked into one spot. There should be a town. Right so you look into the horizon and you can like yeah. see a town, but your phone says it's not there. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like, all right, hey, excuse me. Hey, can I just borrow your phone, please? Is there a plan? Is there, is there, is there a town there? Yep. All right, sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, I think to myself, does no one else in the galaxy have a star database? That it is has, weird that it went years without anyone figuring out. Because you think everyone's individual ships would have their own map of like jumps and stuff. Uh, yeah, right. In like, unless maybe the everything's plugged in to like through the Jedi Temple network or something. Like maybe they have their own 
kind of intranet going on or whatever where like they have their own know, google maps yeah they have their own google maps essentially they have their own They're like, using the, the the bing maps compared yeah. to everyone else using google compared to everyone else using the hollow net like <laughs> say like, are you kidding me like no one's heard of camino before like i'm pretty sure people have heard of camino before like is it like is it that weird i think it would have been like more strange if it was it's like a pretty rec- reclusive planet yeah it, it would have been like i i guess it's like where where is it? Beyond the mid rim, or something? Beyond or or is it in the outer rim or whatever? Well, hmm. Let me just let me just. Look I'm actually up. not sure. Now now we're going down uh, down a rabbit hole, but I gotta look this up. It's like it's like it's, bo- bothering me now. <laughs> this is definitely related to rebels. This is definitely it's related. It's related. Uh, <laughs> okay, so this is in the Abrion sector. Extra, extra galaxy. So outer rim, outer rim territories and the slice. Man, I want to live in the slice. That sounds sweet. Like a slice of pie? Or so slice where, of where, do you, where do you live? The slice. <laughs> <laughs> I live in pizza pie. <laughs> uh, okay, so it is in the outer rim, so it's a bit far. But at the same time, it's like, okay. Like it, it would make more sense if it would have like if it was in like unknown territory, you know, like uncharted space kind of thing, kind of like Chiss, right? Like Thrawn's homeworld. Like it would have made Wiser. more sense if like mm. no one had the ability to navigate there. Like you needed very like highly sought after information to get there in the first place. Like, but it it would have made sense the Jedi would have had it at one point, and then maybe just kind of. You know, especially with all this higher public expansion going on, like you know, it would have made sense completely. And uh, and then when Dooku erased it, it's like, oh shoot, like no one can get there anymore. So I don't know, like it would have made more sense if it just wasn't in like known territory. But it, you know, I feel like people, you know, should know. It's like you know, smugglers and whatever else. I don't know. Like Dex knew about it, right? That's true. He's like, he takes one look at like the commit, like the saber dart, which weirdly is like, that's a Mandalorian thing. Like, why didn't he just say like, that's a Mandalorian saber? Like he said, it's a Camino saber dart. It's like, what? Like the Camino was specific, right? I, what's weird is they seem like such a peaceful planet. I don't know why they would have weapons. (laughs) Why would they they be making toxic? It's like, yes, master Kenobi. We specialize in cloning and toxic saber darts. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell your master we have a million more units well on the way and a 20-pack of toxic darts free of charge with every million clones. Million clones. <laughs> Get your free saber darts now. <laughs> Launch your sword separately. It uh, is very strange. You think it would be a Mandalorian thing. You're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, though, writing oversights. And, uh, you know, I hate to throw that at George, but, you know, quite frankly, it happens. Right. I don't remember owning a droid. It's like, uh, <laughs> wake up, old man. <laughs> wake up. They're all the same, Josh. Do you remember the poster you had when you were six? <laughs> Yeah, uh, the poster, the poster, po- what toaster, poster? toaster, like toaster, a, like making toast for breakfast. I do actually. We had a silver one, 
fit four <laughs> pieces. <all> silver. Oh man. Okay. Well, let's move on here. Um, so this is the episode that Bo finally takes the dark saber willingly from Sabine and the clans all dedicate themselves to Bo-Katan who unites the people and accepts the sword. And, uh, this is the moment, the sort of the, the calm before the storm, if you will, because I don't believe that we see Mandalore for the rest of the season. And in the finale, we don't hear about the fate of Mandalore either. So at the time when, when Rebels was being done, you know, I think the intention with this arc was that this was sort of a rebuilding point for Mandalore and not necessarily kind of the, the pause before all things kind of went downhill again. But yeah, I was going to say, because in this episode, they talk about Sindari City being fine just under imperial rule mm-hmm. and when we finally see it in in the mando series it's just it's been like uh destroyed and uh gassed out yeah like poisonous gas yeah exactly there was room for new story there so you know they they sort of without changing anything they kind of just added on to it but in a way that sort of made sense because it's like you know the civil war rages on and uh, I guess maybe some of the intention behind Moff Gideon leading the campaign to Mandalore is probably in retaliation for Bo-Katan and all the United Clans fighting back against the capital, you know, fighting back against Sindari City, which is, you know, currently, uh, currently housing a lot of Imperial resources there. So this also makes complete sense with how there's an entire imperial base underground hidden away that we just haven't seen until season three of Mandalorian, right? Because I've always wondered, like, how on earth could they build that so quickly? You know, like, I, I assume that something like that would take at least a couple of years, you know, with Star Wars technology. The base that we see in this episode, you mean? The big... No, no, I mean the base that they kill Moff Gideon in, like the big, huge underground base. Okay, yeah. Right? Like, did you ever wonder, like, how the heck did they get that there so quickly? Because like, uh, No, always... because uh, the Imperial, everywhere the Imperials are, they have giant bases that are just, that's just there. <laughs> right. So I assume that they've actually maybe built that thing somehow, uh, or, or even had maybe some sort of familiarity with the area. Right, because they've t- completely taken over Sundari City, and uh, perhaps you know pulled resources back at some point, or maybe, or maybe the Mandalorians took over. You know, just wasn't to, it in Sundari City? It is. Base? It is. It's beneath okay. it. Okay, it's beneath it, right? So, or so. Well, it's, it's on. It's on Mandalore, right? Like Mandalore, the main planet, and I believe it's. Yeah, I believe it's like somewhat near underground, near Sundari City. Um. But I just, I don't know. To me, I was just thinking to myself, like, they must have kind of known that that was there. And, you know, when they bombed the whole place, you know, if there was a, even one stormtrooper or so on the planet, they probably wouldn't have cared. And, uh, you know, they, they went all full, like, judgment day, you know, with that cool, wicked shot of all the K2SO units, you know, all the Imperial Enforcer droids, you know, marching in a line across this burning 
surface the planet with bombers flying overhead. It was so cool. Yeah, it's just just basically Terminator. <laughs> yeah, just Judgment Day Terminator style. Judgment Day. Judgment Day. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. So it's just it, yeah, it was cool, right? And and it's just like um, you know, when you go back there and Moff Gideon has like set up shop kind of underground. Yeah, it, it just kind of made me think like, oh, maybe he kind of knew that that was all there. And like, that's where he knew that it would be sort of a safe haven to set up his like evil plans to, mm-hmm. you know, cause he, he has his own agenda, like with, within all of the Imperial remnants, like he's got his own agenda to kind of be warlord of, of, yep. of his <laughs> he wants co- to be a, ma- co- a Mandalorian wannabe. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. He's yeah. That, that was all, that was a little bit strange, but yeah. It's okay. just weird to me that he ended up looking so much like the Darth Maul Mandalorians. Yeah, it did. All the horns and everything. Yeah. Spikes, yeah. Uh, but this is the beginning of the end from Bo-Katan's rule, again. <laughs> um, <laughs> following this arc, we know now that the Empire retaliates in Thrawn's absence. So part of the Thrawn storyline that we're about to see is that the, the perspective shifts away from Mandalore and, and uh, we'll, we'll focus again on, on Lothal by the end of the series. But my theory is that Moff Gideon took over the campaign, you know, against Mandalore because Thrawn had his, you know, focus, you know, elsewhere. Is, is, would that be, you know, something that we could probably throw out there as a, a working theory for now? I mean, I don't have anything better. Yeah. Sweet. Well, uh, <laughs> what do you <laughs> what, what what do you what do you got for this episode? I mean, uh, is that Pablo points or Pudus? Well, or do you have anything to throw onto that? There's one last thing that this stood out to me in this this dual parter, and that's that again they threw in a very brief reminder that. Kanan and Hera are sort of in a relationship. And I feel like it hasn't been touched for over two seasons. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. It's so sporadic and it comes up so infrequently that when it does come up, it just feels really out of place. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It almost... So, okay, it's a, call me crazy. But, like, did it seem as if... Perhaps they both knew that she was going to be uh, bearing a child. <laughs> Which is, okay, we can probably talk about it more towards the end of this. But regarding certain, hold on. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hit the thing. Regarding certain people who, who don't make it through this season... How could she already be pregnant? Well, Unless they have been together this whole time. It's very confusing. That's the thing. Because like, like, she think, doesn't seem like they're together. I think they have been, right? Like, I think they have been together. And, like, that's sort of that weird moment where they they talk about it, right? Because they're like... We well, he talks... Kanan says specifically, like, you know how I feel. So it sounds like they're not together yet, but they both want to be, but they're not probably because they're busy dealing with the rebellion right see to me it sounded like maybe 
maybe they are together, but they are being torn apart all the time, and he doesn't like that. I don't know. Yeah, it could be that too. It's like two different. Yeah, yeah. Was this was this in part one or part two? I'm just trying to remember. Um, I wrote it down to be part one. I think part one. Okay, you know, like a time timestamp anywhere. No, no timestamp. Oh, oh, it's part one. I, but I, I you're right. It. I got. Oh, it. nice. Let's, okay. let's take a listen. Give my mom a chance. We were hoping you could have freed him by now. What's the outlook? The Empire is moving Sabine's father to the Mandalorian capital of Sundari. Only chance we've got for a rescue is to ambush the convoy before it gets there. What's the status of the Imperial occupation? Mandalore's under complete lockdown. Civil war's raging. I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but... Sounds like the planet is lost. Sabine's father is important. Not just to her, but to her people. That's how I persuaded Mon Mothma to let you help. But once that's done... I need you to come back. Oh, having trouble overthrowing the Empire without me? Our team is an important asset to the Rebellion. An asset? Is that what we are? You know what I mean. Well, you know how I feel. Are we still talking about the mission? That depends. On what? You know. <sighs> Be careful. See you soon. All right, what do, what do you think of that? Yeah, to me, that sounds like they... There's, like, sexual tension, and they would be dating under other circumstances, but they're not because they're obligated to the job, which is the rebellion. Right, okay. Let's roll with that. But Kanan feels like they probably should just date anyway, but Hera's put the job first. That's kind of how I read it. Yeah, yeah. And there was no shenanigans in the new the new Dawn book that we read either, right? No, it was Kanan was a bit of a cowboy ladies man and he was trying to lay the moves on Hera. Yeah. And I think Hera was a little more seductive. Right. It's been a while since I read that book, but um but didn't uh she she basically denied him and didn't go anywhere. Yeah. She, so this isn't far off from that, but Kanan is significantly different. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big problem I have with the book. All right. Pablo points of Pudus. We're combining these two episodes together to give one score. I'm gonna give it one point two five Pablo points. <laughs> We're pretty close. I was thinking, yeah, like one point five, maybe one point you know, six area. Yeah. Cause like there's, there's, these are big episodes and like, I like episodes that have like a big story movement or the, it feels like the plot progresses, but there's a lot of things in this arc that annoy me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest issue for me is I just, I, I can't buy Sabine's story. I just, I can't do it. It just feels, it takes me out because if if I think of say like my cousin, like a little, my little cousin, you yeah. know, someone who's like twelve or thirteen, creating a weapon that would destroy, you know, the modern military using their own armor, it doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agree. There's some things about it that stand out. Is like what? <laughs> um. Well, that being said, I mean that's. Uh, oh, sorry. 
anyone who's new, uh, our, our score, <laughs> oh, yeah. our score, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone who's new, our score system is out of seven. Uh, three Pablo Pudus is the worst of the worst. And then moving up from there, you got two Pablo Pudus, one Pablo Pudu, 50% score. That's a Bendu. And then moving up from there, you got one Pablo point, two Pablo points, three Pablo points, three being the best of the best of the best. So 1.5, somewhere in there, that's, it's like better than good, but not great. You know, it's like good, great, extraordinary. So it's somewhere kind of in between good and great. So it's like, we didn't dislike it. And it wasn't it's a, better than the filler episodes it's, it's, for sure. Yeah. A lot of fillers we give like scrape passes, which is like, that's a bendy. That's 50% score. You know, that's like, a, that's like a C minus at school. I think so far since we've started, there's only been like maybe three episodes. I've got poodoos. I've given out a few poodoos. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're pretty easy going. Yeah. I would say so. We could be harsher. We could be harsher for sure. Um, Season four, episode. You know, maybe we sh- maybe we should watch Resistance, and then it'll just be Poodoo's flown all thrown all over the place. Well, let's do it. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> just Poodoo all over that show. Poodoo all over that show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You're probably Poodooing it, and I'll I'll still give it like a slight pass because I actually enjoyed it. I thought the characters were funny. <laughs> If we if we watch the Star Wars movies would with Hayden Christensen, you know he would probably we we all the, the shows everything we'd probably get to Resistance and he'd probably turn to us and go, "Is it possible to skip this show?" <laughs> <laughs> all right, season four, episode three and four, in the name of the Rebellion, part one and two, uh, directed by Sergio Paz, which is part one. Bosco Ng directed part two, written by Gary Witta for part one, and Matt Michnovitz wrote part two. These episodes premiered October 23rd, 2017, and guest stars Phil Lamar, Derek Partridge, Michael Bell, Genevieve O'Reilly, Forrest Whitaker, Nathan Kress, Andre Sagluzio, Jennifer Hale, and David Shaughnessy. Ezra, Kanan, and Sabine arrive on Yavin 4 to join the main group of rebel of the rebel alliance Hera's squadron also arrives in an emergency fuel dump landing having barely survived an imperial ambush which bail organa attributes to an imperial communications relay on jalindi a droid projects the hologram of Sagarira, who mocks mon mothma for her unwillingness to go to any links to defeat the empire and mon mothma angrily responds refusing to stoop to the violence and extre- extremism committed by Guerrero's cell. She sends the ghost crew on a mission to intercept the relay's transmissions, and Sabine inadvertently connects them to the main channel on an approaching light cruiser, forcing Ezra to impersonate an Imperial officer. Unfortunately, it is the very officer who is commanding the cruiser, Brom Titus. Sabine calls for Hera to pick them up, as they have been seen, before she can do so, a U-wing piloted by Guerrera arrives, picks up Ezra and Sabine, and then bombs the relay dish, destroying it and the cruiser. Hera demands Guerrera transfer Ezra and Sabine, but he jumps into hyperspace, and Guerrera convinces Ezra and Sabine to aid him in discovering the secret weapon he is convinced the Empire is working on. 
They board an Imperial cargo shuttle disguised as regular civilian spacecraft and discover a group of prisoner engineers from the planet Coruscant who are being shipped to Jeddah for an apparent project. Guerrera insists that this is more evident of a secret weapon, and they also find a giant kyber crystal, which they plan to haul out of there with the prisoners. Chopper attempts to get the prisoners out of harm's way via an escape pod, although they are stopped by the Empire. When the plans get to the crystal off the ship fail, Guerrero blasts it so it will explode, and he calls two tubes to pick him up. And Ezra and Sabine are rescued by the Ghost crew after destroying a massive Star Destroyer. The engineers decide that they want to join the Rebel cause, and they head back to Yavin 4. And with that said, this is Rebels Recon. Week, we got to see the Rebels finally arrive on Yavin 4. I sat with the cast and crew to talk about the current state of the Rebellion, what it was like incorporating this legendary setting in the series, and took a deeper dive into Saw Gerrera's motivations. Our Rebels have finally connected with the larger Rebellion on Yavin 4. What's the state of the Rebellion at this time? Is this the Rebel Alliance, or is it still individual cells? Well, I think there's a lot made of what is the definitive moment of there being a Rebel Alliance in the fan base world, and everybody likes to think, what is that moment? But as a story for us it's not that important a moment because we've been fighting the Empire all along. We've kind of made clear that they were on their own in the beginning this rebel cell that in the second season they actually linked up with more groups. Once Mon Moffa gets involved I guess that's when it's more of an alliance because she's declaring them pretty openly. But as we know from Rogue One there is still disagreements as to how they're gonna operate. So that's kind of where we are. We are in between those extremes. What it takes is a threat like the Death Star to congeal these disparate groups into the proper rebel alliance. The rebels finally make it to Yavin 4 in this episode. Yes. What what does it mean for you to be so directly tied into the beginning of the saga? That hit me on a couple of levels. I read it in the script. I went and saw Rogue One, and so I got another re-energizing for all those feels. Initially, it's really emotional. Words can't describe how it feels. Literally, when I read the script by myself, I give myself permission to weep openly so that I can get it together by the time I have to read it mm -hmm. in front of a group of people, and then I can sort of be professional. I mean, that's why Star Wars is so sick. Like, everything comes together. It's cool that everything is in the same world. That's awesome, and that's what makes all of it so fun and why paying attention to every little storyline is cool for fans, I think. So the Yavin base is obviously an iconic Star Wars setting. How do you go about creating it for animation. That was really fun. I actually got to work on Yavin Base. The inner six-year-old in me was like really <laughs> nerding out when I got to do that, but that was fun. It was also a challenge, too, because A New Hope, they're working on sets and everything, and you actually have to kind of physically make it work with 3D models. It was a lot to figure out, actually, from reference. We knew that visually you had to see these things that were iconic in Star Wars that would immediately make you think of that. So we didn't stray too much. We used reference as much as possible from the movies. That last sequence in A New Hope, that type of lighting that you have around like a conference table where everyone's kind of standing. We did a little bit of that with all the people standing around that same table on the interior. Yavin 4 is obviously a very iconic setting from New Hope and now Rogue One. Was it always the goal to have the show line up so directly with the films? No, and it's not a goal still. You know, in some ways you almost want to avoid those things to keep the characters independent and making their own choices and having their own path and destiny not serving as some footnote on the journey of another character. 
character. When things worked out in talking to Gareth and John Knoll about the movie Rogue One, we're like, well, it seems reasonable with the scale that you've made the operation on Yavin that our Rebels would have gone there because it's much more of a hub. What I really liked about this episode is we really got some fire out of Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma is all about projecting this implacable cool and confidence and to see a crack in that veneer. I love what Genevieve did and I love that we were able to take that character there. We've been following Saw now for half a season. What's it like bringing that character up to speed to where we see him in Rogue One? It was so phenomenal to team up with the Rogue One team to bring Saw into our universe. We recorded Forrest Whitaker for this role. He really cares about this character and he wanted to know what is his backstory? Where is this in the timeline? And it was just such an honor to record him on Rebels. Here really Sabine and Ezra get witness as to what Saw is willing to do and finally understand what Mon Mothma and Bail Organa's position is of this guy's too dangerous and unpredictable for us to have him as part of our camp kind of thing. We made a decision back in Clone Wars that when Stila died, it really altered Saw's path that he might have turned out to be a different person if his sister had lived. When George and I talked about Saw, we wanted to lay groundwork for his future because he was always going to be someone that was more of an extremist. It gets into this theme, which is the dark and the light are things that are not just the area of the Jedi and the Sith. We all can make dark choices or selfless choices, selfish choices. Right. And Saw can't let go of the anger and the hate and the fear he has over what happened to him when he was very very young. We all have choices to make and that's what drives us in the end to who we will be and what will contribute to the galaxy. Well, there you go. Uh, that was interesting. I love hearing Dave I find it really it. funny how they didn't really talk about what happened at all. They really just talked about making Yavin and that saws back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ghost crew finally meets the cell on Yavin and I like what they described it as is like a, like a hub. Uh, so they kind of Kind of like the main base of operations now that the base on Adalon is gone. So mm-hmm. yeah, even Hot Callus is there. <laughs> that's right. We finally see Hot Callus. That's, that's right. Hot Callus finally uh, bears his, his hot face. <laughs> <laughs> the, those long dreamy locks. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I will say that I thought they did a really good job with Yavin. I would say when we first opened the start of the episode, the first one or the first part, and you you see those kind of um, Aztec-looking pyramids, mm-hmm. like, I thought that was super cool. I really enjoyed that a lot. That's probably my favorite part of the whole arc, to be honest. Yeah, it's such an uh, iconic sight, you know, mm-hmm. like for those for those of us who are kind of accustomed to seeing that that site that is the it's funny because like the original uh the original cut for um you know for those of you listening that might be stuck on the despecialized version <laughs> the, <laughs> the 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 tops of the the tops of the the temple I I don't believe were ever done for the the original theatrical release I might be mistaken about that but I'm pretty sure that that was actually a added scene for the special editions when the falcon comes in and you see mm-hmm. the dude on the radar and you know like the falcon go, comes in for a landing and you see all the tops of the temples and stuff like that i, I don't i don't think that was in the original version i could be wrong though. oh interesting i could be i'm wrong. not sure on that one 
That's just sort of a guess, but I, I don't know. I could be wrong. So take it with a grain of salt, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was the special editions or the DVD releases or, or whatever that added in that, that scene. And then from mm-hmm. there we had the, the visual look of like the bottom and the top. And then rogue one was the first kind of movie to like put the whole temple into picture. But technically this show, the, the episode was, was probably trying to come up with their own asset for these temples because you know, they have to work so far in advance. Right. So I don't think it was as simple as using kind of what they did for rogue one and just cycling it over to this show. That's why they kind of emphasized so probably guess, based on the the yeah. art, the artwork for for Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, and then whatever concept art was done up for it, of course, as well, because mm-hmm. you know all of it's kind of based on whatever Ralph did or whoever else. So, yeah, um, Saw has aged even more since the last time we saw him. Last time we saw him, he had a bald head. Now he's got the full slicked back gray hair, fuzzy and yeah, he's, all. He's of the getting place. close to the the Rogue One look. Yeah, he's one year away from from the the rogue one look which uh i feel like the rogue one kind of personality and style they gave him he's really kind of like down in the dumps you know like he's on the the breathing machine he's his hair is even further crazy yeah that's right i forgot about the breathing machine thing he doesn't have that yet yeah he doesn't have that yet yeah I always thought that that suit that he wears had something to do with the breathing machine, but I, I guess it's not because he's worn that now for the last couple episodes that we've seen him in. And yeah, it doesn't have the the oxygen mask. No, yeah. So I, I guess the suit has nothing to do with it. But I always thought like, oh, that suit's so bulky. Maybe that's kind of like something to, you know, has something to that's do with That's what I thought too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like a Darth Vader situation where he needed the suit to live because he was a cyborg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like way less. Like I thought it looked like his maybe his body had been kind of blown off in a few areas because he's also got like a artificial limb, doesn't he? It's a good question. Doesn't he, um, doesn't he have like a robotic leg or something in Rogue One? I think he does because he limps really bad and yeah. he uses that cane. Yeah. So he must be in a huge accident or something in yeah. between this and Rogue One. Has that ever been explained, like how that happened? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like if we knew about it at all, it would have been in our Saw Guerrero What Happened podcast episode, which is kind of ironic because, mm-hmm. you know, we did a full kind of in-depth thing about it. So weirdly enough, I'm forgetting, but, you know, it's possible we could have even talked about that before. <laughs> what will they do when they catch you? What will you do when they break your leg? <laughs> <laughs> what will you become? <laughs> uh, some, he has some really good lines. I will say that for yeah. uh, how little screen time he has. Those are all for the teaser too. They didn't even end up in the final movie. Yes, a lot of it's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. more in the trailer than the movie. Yeah. Bukalit! Bukalit! <laughs> That was in the movie. <laughs> that was, yeah, they didn't put that in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, the way that the, the larger rebellion kind of looks at him at this point, especially after this episode, or these two episodes, um, really there's a lot of hesitancy in Rogue One to, you know, communicate with this guy 
And it, it's kind of obvious now uh, as to why that is, right? And that's why Mon Mothma, when they elect Jin Erso to go and meet him, it's like, are we doing the right thing? Like, you know, like this and that. Like, this guy's, this guy's crazy. You know, his They have is, to go through this every time. There's like a new recruit. Like, they go through this process of them thinking that the rebellion isn't doing enough and wanting to join Saw because he seems to actually get it done. And then they join him and he's just insane. <laughs> I feel like it's something that maybe some of the people in the Rebel Alliance have had to kind of cope with on a certain level because, you know, kind of like how they were saying in the, in the Rebels Recon, like there's still a lot of arguments as to how they should proceed with acting as a group, right? Like, like fighting how they should proceed with when it comes to fighting the empire in the first place. So there are some of them that, that would, would definitely, you know, probably agree with, with Saw's tactics. But the thing with Saw is he doesn't really care who gets hurt. So, you know, mm-hmm. rip the poor soul who decides to join his team because there's a good chance that they might just get, get used and abused and then, you know, abandoned. Yeah. yeah. Ba boom, and they end up in a suicide mission, right? Like that's kind of the whole risk with that with that guy. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things I wrote down is like after, like seeing how Saw treats the people he works with. Like, why would anyone want to work with him? I'm trying to figure out if he has followers if he just abandons people and sacrifices them, and you know, is any whim of the mission. You know what he would say to that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MC laughed in this episode as well during the hologram. <laughs> I did, I did love, I love the performance though that that he sees in Genevieve O'Reilly's um, uh, Mon Mothma, you know, and and how she really kind of like how Pablo was saying, like you see a crack in her armor, and in a way she kind of loses her cool for a moment. When, mm-hmm. when she's yeah. like yelling at him there. And then she gets emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he kind of picks it out and goes like, see there, that, that's what you need. You know, like, that's how you'll kill the empire. <laughs> it's funny how it's basically uh, Jedi versus Sith again. Right. Where it's like one is fueled by emotion and the other one's about uh, controlling one's emotions. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, Dave kind of puts it that way. It's like every citizen in the galaxy deals with that inner struggle, you know, like the light and the dark. It's not just the Jedi and the Sith that have to kind of get pulled back and forth between the two. Like it might be sort of amplified in a very different way since they are, you know, they have this ability to use the power that kind of comes with that. And they have the responsibility and the consequence to to kind of bear with it. But um, for the average citizen, it's, it's, you know, it's like every kind of random Joe, like, like you and I, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a daily choice. It's like, do we make a bad decision in the favor of doing something good or do we make a good decision and, you know, end up doing something that might not be very effective. And there's that whole message through this entire arc of how, it's not about whether or not we choose to fight, but how we choose, or it's not not wh- whether or not ha- uh, why we, uh, or if we fight in the first place. It's like how we choose to do it that matters. 
Um, mm-hmm. And which uh, is something that I think we've tied to Yoda uh, learning after the Clone Wars. As well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it came up earlier in the show too. I think it was like a season one or two thing that Kanan kind of taught Ezra kind of way back when. So it's interesting to see this kind of lesson revisited again. Right. To sort of show us the, the parallel of what separates the rebel Alliance from sort of rebel extremists who, who in the empire really would be considered branded terrorists in a way, right? Like saws group, uh, mm-hmm. because he's really kind of, you know, like you see what he's kind of done and it's like, yeah, innocent people die, you know, in, in his line of fire, people die. So, but yeah, but he thinks the, you know, the ends justify the means. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, saw blows up the satellite saves Ezra and Sabine and uh, you know his story here is that he's been chasing down the threads that lead to the Death Star so very appropriate you know tracing back to our story arc with Geonosis and uh, click clack and all that uh, you know he doesn't know that the Death Star exists yet but he's he's like he's kind of convinced onto this he sounds crazy right and I, I love how they do it I love how they wrote his character in this episode because he sounds nuts, right? He's like, the, I'm on the, the Empire's building some some super weapon. You know, like, you know, and, and like Ezra and Sabine are just kind of looking at him going like, this dude's like off the off rocker. It. He's losing it. Like, what the yeah. heck? I mean, would they really go that far? And, you know, just like, it, it, it's kind of one of those far-fetched things. But, you know, we know that he's onto something, right? So it's interesting that he, you know, his obsession has kind of led him. Yeah, you know, it's true. He's the only far. one that seems to have really figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it was a great way to kind of demonstrate sort of his end, his, you know, where, where he ends up uh, being blown up by the Death Star's first test run. It's ironic, you know? That's true, actually, because he finally. Uh, got to see what it was but the, i guess the question i have is did he figure it out what it was before it, it got to him or did he was that when was his his first realization was as he, he was being killed by it i don't think yeah you know what like i don't think he did figure it out um unless well cuz he knew galen urso way before right and, you know, he, I think he was aware that he was a scientist on a project. And uh, I, I don't really know how that sort of ties in with kind of what they have going on in this episode, you know, of, 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 this, uh, of this series necessarily. But, I mean, I don't know. Would you be, should we uh, take a listen to the hologram message that... Uh, that Galen or so kind of he says yeah that he sends to to saw and and, oh Galen yeah yeah, sure maybe might be worth it if you've got it there yeah let's take a listen this is the message I was sent so if you are watching this then perhaps there's a chance to save the Alliance. Perhaps there's a chance to explain myself, and though I don't dare hope for too much, a chance for Jen, if she's alive. 
if you can possibly find her, to let her know that my love for her has never faded, and how desperately I've missed her. Jin, my stardust. I can't imagine what you think of me. When I was taken, I faced some bitter truths. I was told that soon enough Krennic would have you as well. As time went by, I knew that you were either dead or so well hidden that he would never find you. I knew if I refused to work, if I took my own life, it would only be a matter of time before Krennic realized he no longer needed me to complete the project. So I did the one thing nobody expected. I lied. I learned to lie. I played the part of a beaten man resigned to the sanctuary of his work. I made myself indispensable. And all the while, I laid the groundwork of my revenge. We call it the Death Star. There is no better name. And the day is coming soon when it will be unleashed. I've placed a weakness deep within the system. A flaw so small and powerful they will never find it. But Jin, Jin, if you're listening, my beloved, so much of my life has been wasted. I try to think of you only in the moments when I'm strong because the pain of not having you with me, your mother, our family, the pain of that loss is so overwhelming I risk failing even now. It's just so hard not to think of you. Think of where you are. My stardust. So, the reactor module, that's the key. That's the place I've laid my trap. It's well hidden and unstable. One blast to any part of it will destroy the entire station. You'll need the plans, the structural plans for the Death Star to find the reactor. I know there's a complete engineering archive in the data vault at the Citadel Tower on Scarif. Any pressurized explosion to the reactor module will set off a chain reaction that will destroy the entire station. He almost looks confused as he's like looking out the window of the big city like blowing up in the distance. So I don't know. Well, he says this is the message I was sent, but yeah. he doesn't say when he received it. Well, yeah, and that that I think comes up earlier in the movie. It's it's uh you know something that uh it's it's Play Bodhi. It's it's uh <laughs> Bodhi <laughs> yeah, Bodhi. Bodhi <laughs> Rock Bodhi Rook. Yeah. That's right. That's the dude who sends the message. Bogut. Yeah. Bogut. Before he gets bogulted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before he gets bo borgut. What? Borgulleted? <laughs> yes, that's right. Borgulleted. Bogulleted. Bogut. Bogulleted. Bogut. Do you want me to bogullet you? <laughs> no. No. Please. <laughs> I mean, that's if I was being begulleted or like about to begulleted, I'd give up anything that they they asked Think, without question. Yeah. Anyways, borgullet, you know, tentacly, <laughs> tentacly. It's not like, but begullet's like, it gets to your brain. <laughs> We've never seen it in action either, so like, I don't even know what it's like. No, like, I think Bo Bodie Rook gets it right. It's like, it's like squid. <laughs> 
It's like a slimy snail slug thing and like brain evaporation. Yeah. Trust me. I've been bogulleted. Bogulleted. <laughs> it's, it's not nice. <laughs> I love how the U-Wing shows up. Such a cool yeah, show. Yeah, it was cool. Show was mm-hmm. up the first time in the Rebels animated show. It's awesome. And uh, <laughs> Ezra's play on names finally gets him screwed when he uses the random, like, captain name that he ran, had a run-in with in, like, season one. And, like, you know, Mr. Titus or whatever his name is. And, like, that's the yeah, dude on the ship. Commander Titus or whatever. Yeah, Commander yeah. Titus. And, like, that's the guy. It's like, what are the odds of that? This seems to happen a lot to him. We're just, like... It seems that the universe is just much too small, so we can't really get away with anything. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, so Saw is uh, so obsessed with the, finding the Empire's secrets. He's willing to sacrifice all those innocent people mm-hmm. to get that information. And um, this is the third crystal, because like, they find the, the crystal right aboard that ship. And it's the third crystal that has been destroyed now in all of the animated series put together. Because this is the second one that the Rebels have destroyed in Rebels. And there was one that was destroyed in the Clone Wars in uh, a story arc called the, the uh, Crystal Crisis on Utapau. And these episodes were, there was four of them, and they weren't actually finished. So you can only see them on uh, the Blu-ray special features for season six or on YouTube. And they were once upon a time available on StarWars.com, and I think they've been removed. But uh, they're they're oh, basically they remove them. Yeah, they're they're proxy animation, so it's uh, sort of like a previs for these animated shows. But all of the audio had been recorded, and Anakin and Obi Wan have a story where they they go to Utapau prior to the events of Revenge of the Sith, and have a bit of a mystery murder there. And um, there's a crystal there on Utapau and uh, there's some sort of transaction that's supposed to take place and it ends up getting destroyed but um, basically three of them now have been destroyed so like I think I don't know what they're trying to do other than maybe make that 19 year gap with the lasers array sort of more I guess believable that they took them so long to get the laser working properly you mm-hmm. know the science plus maybe the material so on and so forth like i i guess maybe that's what they're kind of and, and could be just finding all these giant crystals that are probably extremely rare yeah yeah i guess i you know that's that that's another thing it's like i don't know how many kyber crystals are around the galaxy that are the size of you know two minivans put together but you know that's just massive yeah yeah like where do they keep? It's gotta be pretty things? rare. Oh, I considering see. kyber crystals are already rare to begin with. Right. Yeah. They must. They must be. Yeah. So there was also a verbal, uh, um, verbal nod of the head to Jetta in this. In this. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. They said the shipment was from Jetta. Yeah. They really connected the dots a lot. Like, like you know, I don't need to see any more of Saw for the rest of the season and kind of fill in the gaps as to why he ends up there. You know what I mean? That's true, actually, yeah, because now he, well, he knows the crystal, but I guess he doesn't know what the crystal's for. And he's got a new motive now, 
Like he's a very mm-hmm. motivated, driven person. So like his obsession, he's got a lead. yeah, he's got a lead, right? His obsession with this super weapon, this super weapon, and you know, just <laughs> just about everything surrounding it. You know, there's there's no doubt about it in my mind that he would head there with two tubes, like with his the rest of his rebel cell, and set up shop there and start, you know, investigating and trying to take out the Empire and Jeddah. He's a floater. He's a floater. He kind of just goes where his obsession takes him. You know what I mean? Just sacrifice anyone he needs to on the way. Exactly. Uh, back on the crystal thing. So take this with a grain of salt. But in the Force Unleashed game, I just finished playing through uh, again after a replay. The last level, you're on the Death Star and you go through the 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 laser array. Yeah. And there's, I believe it's 16 lasers uh, that then all connect to one giant beam. Yeah. So that would mean they probably need 16 of these giant crystals if they're keeping to that as the canon. Right. That's a good observation, actually. It is true, though, like when you see the Death Star laser, like just type in a, type in a Google image. You see them, yeah, they combine. But that's not 16. So I think they... There's several that combine before that then combines again on the exterior of the Death Star. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, so there's eight. So, so think, it must be two per laser, maybe? Yes, that's. I think that's roughly what they said in the game. Yeah, two per mini laser single reactor. Yeah, two per reactor, perhaps. And then there's the... Um, and then they all combine. So all eight different reactor lasers or whatever combine into the mm-hmm. one, the one planet killing laser, but like they only fired kind of an inkling. They only fired one. I forget the percentile, but like it was some, I think it was like a single reactor ignition or whatever when they killed Jetta. For Jetta? Yeah. For Jetta city. Yeah. And, and same with Scarif as well. Like they only used, uh, it was like half power or something. Oh, not even. It was like le- it was less than that. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, um, interesting stuff. Man, I really want to watch Rogue One now. It was, it was such a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Well, well maybe we should do a uh, a let's watch or whatever. What we uh, commentary? No, we've already done one. Rogue One. Yeah. We did. We did. It was. It's been too long. Released <laughs> probably 20, last time I watched it. Released twenty twenty October fifth. Oh well, all our listeners, there you go. Yeah. So if anyone wants a commentary drug with Rogue One, there is one. <laughs> but yeah. Um. So. Pablo points of Pudus. Let's uh, let's do this real fast and then wrap it up. One. Well, I've got uh two two more things to talk about real quick. Oh sure. Yeah. So Saw says to Ezra, my planet is already lost to, to the Empire. Andron, Do you want to lose yeah. yours too? Yeah, and he's from Onderon. But is Onderon under that much more control of the Empire than like any other planet? Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, and in the Bad Batch, we had a little, little snippet at his activity there because the Bad Batch were sent on their first mission onto the Empire. They were sent there... To right, yeah, it's when they they, they tried to escape in that ATT. Yeah, exactly. So like, 
basically they were taking out all the allies of the Jedi immediately, you know, who were fighting side by side with the clones, but not necessarily controllable by order 66. And Mm -hmm. so they decide to take him out. Right. And they get there and he's trying to help some refugees and some of his, his group, uh, get off world because he's completely out of his league anymore. Right. Like there's no way that he can fight that war on his own anymore. Uh, you, You know, it's one thing to have the clones at his back and, have the Republic forces kind of aiding him and this and that and fighting off droids. But now he's fighting off a new empire that's, you know, coming in full swing. And it's like, no, we're out of here. You know, we we got to get out of here for our own sake of our own lives, regroup, rethink this. And, uh, you know, that's when he starts to lose himself because he doesn't have a sister there. She's been killed. She doesn't, he doesn't have that guiding light anymore in his life. And, and it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's affected him. Right. So, but post that, like, is there like a, a completely overwhelming force of Imperials that are on Onderon? Like, does that make th- it significantly worse than Lothal? I think so. I, I, uh, I believe so. Hmm. I mean, I, I guess, I guess what he's saying is that that's what, what the situation is, is that that's, that's how it is over there. So. Hmm, I'm interesting because like Saw is a pretty determined guy, so I'm curious how bad it's got to be for him to give up on his his own his home planet. Yeah, yeah, it must be. I guess I guess maybe that's their way of kind of updating us on the situation on Onderon by by him saying that it's like yeah, it's still screwed over there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> still not worth it. Yeah. Can't do nothing. Yeah, that's it. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I want to point out is we saw the Republic police. That uh, was the last word. Oh, uh, yeah. Republic the, police, the, the, the ship or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, those little uh, shuttles that they drive around uh, Coruscant with. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Republic the, police gunship, is the, I guess the, what it's called. The, what is that, dropship or something? Uh, patrol gunship is what I'm seeing here. It's not a full dropship because it only holds a, a handful of troopers or whatever but i find it neat that this is something that was from the republic era that we saw mostly around coruscant mm-hmm. for the police to get around when they were all clones that's when they were hunting ahsoka but, too that's right they were using those so i would have thought that it would have been decommissioned but it seems like it's being used all the way up to a new hope yeah yeah i guess there's kind of interplanetary you know just kind of local uh, non high altitude sort of speeder like vehicles, mm-hmm. and it, it comes out of the the Star Destroyer. So, yeah. so, oh, yeah, that's right. So, they can be pressurized then, yeah, they're in space, so it'd have to have been. Oh, wow. Okay, norm- normally it's like the, the laddie gunship where it's got the side doors open, right? Right, it's almost like you take a laddie gunship and mash it together with a TIE fighter, is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, they're much smaller too. They yeah, only, they significantly like smaller. A, yeah, they only fit like a handful of people. But yeah, that's a yeah, good observation. Yeah, I think they show up later too, like later in season I, four. Yeah, I pulled it up. Actually, it's this is the fourth time it's shown up in the whole series, and it shows up once more in this season. Oh, there you go. So it's actually, I think it's in season one. Awesome. So the first time it shows up is in the episode Call to Action. Oh, yeah. Which is episode 13. Right. So season one. 
I don't think we caught that. No, I didn't notice it. <laughs> um, that was uh, Rebels Talk Part 5. Everyone could score. We have to go back. We've got to re-record it. Everyone, everyone's going to leave, like, sour comments on our YouTube channel. <laughs> you didn't talk about the gunship. Yeah. All and right. Relics of the Old Republic is the second time. Oh, what? So it's in the episode where you, where you see you meet the clones. I didn't see it there. I didn't see it there either. Heck. I don't know if I trust this Wikipedia site. Oh, it may have been the hangar bay or something. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It's in the Whatever. background, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I was it was very in your face in this episode, so I definitely noticed it. Yeah. Pablo points of Pudus. How would you uh, rate this one? These two. These hmm. two episodes. This is similar to the last one where I liked like, it better than the last it's, one. It's it was, I, 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 I agree with that just because the last one had things that annoyed me significantly. This didn't, but it also felt like the stakes were a bit lower. But it also ties in, I think, with the overall story of the kind of the original trilogy era really well. I'm going to give this one two Pablo points. I think, yeah. I think uh, like these two episodes, like I thought they were fun. The action was, was good. There was nothing that stood out as like bad. I really love Saw's character progressing here. Yeah, um, I think that's the main thing is is Saw's progression. Yeah, yeah. I love seeing the base on Yavin. Uh, it was a direct connection to where the last season left off. The Heroes of Mandalore arc was kind of a weird sidestep there. You know, it's like it's kind of. I thought it was kind of interesting how they lose their home base on Adalon and then they get out of there. You know, get out of Dodge, and then. Like they had a verbal comment saying we're gonna regroup on Yavin Four with General Dodonna, and then the next thing, mm -hmm. next thing you know, we're starting season four off. They're not there yet. They've like Mandalore, yeah, hit Mandalore first, and then and then now this ep these episodes, the first time that they're being acquainted. You know, Ze Zeb is already there somehow, and he's like introducing them to the rest of the t the the group there. But it, it was just like okay, this this one just felt more of like a natural season four kind of. Point of, point of entry and i don't know i just i just kind of liked it better the whole satellite dish thing was kind of kind of cool as well like that was an interesting that reminded me of uh golden eye james bond movie yeah 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 i don't know i just uh i kind of liked it a lot it was it was uh yeah i think it was it was pretty great i think as far as like the overall show goes you know it was it was definitely some of the better two episodes i've seen okay but, and uh, I, I do like when the the story is a little bigger and is a, a dual, yeah. like a two part episode and get a little more depth in it. It's which also is a direct, really segue. rare in the series. Sorry, yeah, it's a direct segue into Rogue One too for Saw Gerrera's character. So that was also kind of a a big plus. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. I was I was originally gonna say a one point eight, but I'll, I'll give it a two as well. You've you've convinced me. Two, yeah. Well, you can go lower yeah. if you want. No, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm merciful. I was entertained. <laughs> I was I was I was I was pulled into this one. I was pulled into it. If not the first one, the second one for sure. That's so, fair. Yeah. All right, and we saw more death trippers, which was always cool. Yeah. 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 Cool. Was, yeah. Two two Pablo points. That's all I'll give it. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Before we wrap things up, real quick, 
I got to throw this out there only because it sticks out as like a not not super lore breaking or anything like that, but it is noticeable now that those death troopers do have the garble and then they also mm-hmm. can speak English. Like as opposed to the movie where you can't understand them at all. Yeah. Like in this episode, they did also have that. Like they did also yeah. speak in garble, which I don't know what, like why that's a thing. But then, you know, they also did, you know, break that for a couple lines of dialogue and you were able to understand them for, for like a couple lines. So I thought that was kind of, do you think it's be in the rogue one when you can't understand them? It's because it's from Jin's perspective. But when we watch, when we hear them in rogue in rebels here, it's because, uh, it's you're from like their perspectives here in the open Imperial comms. Honestly, I, I, I always thought it was like an encryption thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I always thought that it's like, oh, the death troopers are only communicating with each other because it's like sort of a elite kind of group of troops to be part of, right? And then... Well, maybe that's why then, because they were talking to the, the command. I think so. I think that's kind of why, you know, if that, that, would, that would be like the most Pablo answer that I could come up with, but <laughs> just something I kind of thought of, like just on a whim there, hmm. but... All right. Would you rather it have been on like non-understandable, and then there's subtitles or something? Nah, no. I think I think they had kind of the best way of approaching it. To be honest, I think Rogue One was really the the one that sort of threw that curveball in there of coming up with troopers that speak in garble in the first place. So the animated show just kind of had to work with what that movie right. Did. So it, you know. this is a young audience show, so they probably don't want to deal with forcing kids to read <laughs> yeah i think they approached it the best way they could by having both there um mm-hmm. whereas like you know it would it would have been kind of weird if they didn't have that garbly noise in there at all like like garbly dialogue whereas like you know it just wouldn't have made sense if they ignored it completely and just did english basic you know through the whole time we see them in this episode i like how they did throw that in there as a nod to Rogue One and then adjusted it so that we could understand what they were saying. So like, I think it was the better way to do it, but um, yeah. Nope. That's fair. I'm trying to think if there's ever subtitles in this show or Clone Wars. Do they always speak basic? That's a question. That's a question. None come to mind. Yeah, I don't think so. Even the races that don't traditionally speak basic, like Rodians and Huts, all speak basic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, sir. Three more left to go. Uh, always a pleasure coming back on. I mean, we're we're stuck in this escape pod to the end. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day we'll be rescued, but till yeah. then, all we have is each other and the people who somehow managed to call in <laughs> that's right <laughs> hence your uh, hence your sign off tag that's right speaking of which we'll see you out there keep flying all right thank you so much for tuning in all of you have stuck with us to the end and uh, we would absolutely love it if you could do us the huge favor of putting down five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify. If you haven't thrown down a five star yet already, that would help us out tremendously because it helps other people find the show and it tells us that we're doing a great job. So uh, if you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. 
All the ways to contact the podcast are in the description below. You can reach us on our socials using the handle at Podcast. And in addition to that, you can find us on YouTube. Subscribe to us there. And we'll see you in the next episode of Star Wars Escape Pod. May the force be with you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.